Hey, podcast listener, are you working so hard you wonder if the money is even worth it? If you're like most CPAs I work with, you have way too much to do, you feel relentless deadline pressure, and worst of all, you feel torn between serving clients and being with family. What if I told you you could work a 40-hour week without losing a dime? I know it sounds impossible, but my Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind is designed for CPAs just like you who want to get their lives back. Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind is launching soon. In it, you'll learn how to start getting your time back week by week, make your workload manageable while still bringing in plenty of revenue, what to put in your packages and how to price them, and so much more. Don't leave your future to chance. CPA Mastermind will get you on the same profitable path you've been searching for. With unlimited coaching, your success is guaranteed. Go to GeraldineCarter.com to learn more. Dates, times, pricing, it's all there. If someone calls me and they have this specific problem I solve, like I know exactly what to do. I know within five seconds, my body will tell me yes or no about whether to take the case. Welcome to the Business Strategy for CPAs podcast, where I help you work less and make more. My name is Geraldine Carter. Many CPAs serve a general population of people doing accounting for anyone with a business and taxes for anyone who needs a return. As a result, their focus is broad but diffuse, and because they don't go deep into one subject matter, it makes it hard to provide enormous value that would justify high fees. So rather than grow revenue by increasing value and therefore fees, they tend to grow revenue by increasing volume. This can be a direct path onto the hamster wheel. Instead, focusing on a particular vertical or niche can solve the aforementioned problems. Here today to talk with me about this challenge is my guest, Sarah Ellen Hutchison. Sarah Ellen is a solo practicing consumer rights trial lawyer. She stands up for the rights of individuals bullied by debt collectors or overwhelmed by the mess of identity theft, resulting in six-figure verdicts and substantial settlements. Sarah Ellen, welcome to the Business Strategy for CPAs podcast. Hi, Geraldine. I'm so excited to be here. Uh, I'm glad to have you. This is going to be a great conversation. We are talking about niching and niche drama. So let's start with a slow pitch here. Talk about lawyers being generalists too. What does that look like over in the lawyer profession? We want to see if there are some similarities that maybe we can tie back. It looks like being overworked and overwhelmed and never getting law school paid off. And in the law, we call that practicing door law, which means anything that comes in the door. Anything that comes in the door you take on. Yeah. Anything that comes in the door, you take on. And then you end up, you know, perhaps billing your client for a bunch of study time. That's your time and it's valuable, you know, but it's not really delivering them a result. You're kind of trying to unwind some arcane area of the law that's not your cup of tea on their dime. And you're frazzled and stressed out and have, you know, a lack of self-confidence and never get to rinse and repeat. Okay. So it sounds like this is a similar problem over in the lawyering space and lawyers are running into some similar symptoms. 
So what is it that has lawyers also, in many cases, being generalists? What's going on? How, what keeps them from niching? Um, some of it can be the choice of your practice setting. Like, let's say you get out of law school and you're not in the top 10% of your class, or you don't live in a big metropolitan area, then you need a job. And so you might end up going to work for a small firm and not a big firm. You might end up hanging out your own shingle and starting your own practice. And then you need, you know, to take on work and and pay the bills. And if you're not intentional about what you're doing, you might still be doing that kind of a little bit of this, a little bit of that, you know, 20 or 30 years later. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, if you if you're one of five lawyers in a small town, you know, that's in service to the people. But if you're not, you don't want to be spread too thin. I think it makes sense to pick something that you're going to be willing to do for a long time. And I am living proof that someone who didn't even like end up with a specific college major. I graduated with an interdisciplinary Bachelor of Arts because I changed my major so many times. And then they said, well, you have enough credits to graduate interdisciplinary. And so I was like, okay, peace. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, it was basically like English and literature and journalism, but I'm living proof that you can have like a lot of drama about what am I going to do with my precious life and actually find something that is like so niched down that there's more clients than you have time to help. Okay. So let's get into your story here and talk about what your experience was like when you decided to go out on your own, hang your shingle. And you were something of a generalist. What was what was that like for you and what was happening? And then we'll get into how you niched and what you found. I was out of law school for five years and I had started out doing criminal law and I didn't really have the stomach for it. But I was urged to go into that direction because I had a performing arts background. And so you know, if you have a performing arts background, they encourage you to do things where you're going to be in trial and you're going to be in court. And so that sounded great. But then I had to deal with like the subject matter of criminal law, which was very much not great. And so I actually left criminal law and went to work for nonprofits for a couple of years during the recession, did some grassroots work and some, you know, lobbying kind of work. And I, I really enjoyed it, but I knew that I needed to get back into court. I felt a bit of a lack of challenge in the nonprofit sector. I decided to hang out my own shingle. I, all I knew was doing criminal law, really. And I had practiced that primarily in another jurisdiction, you know, and then I'd moved back home and had been licensed in my home state of Washington state, but just wasn't as familiar or as current with it. So I had, it was an opportunity to just sort of learn new things. 
what I found was about a year into that, I had niched down and it happened very naturally. I kind of stopped worrying about, oh my God, I have to figure out what I'm going to do for the rest of my life, you know, and just was like, well, you know, I don't know. And that's okay. And then I heard about this guy who was going on vacation a lot, coming back looking tan, having gone fishing, and was picking up lots of checks in his mailbox while wearing flip-flops. And I was like, well, what area of law is he practicing? That sounds pretty good to me. And that is how I met another solo practicing lawyer who was doing consumer protection law. And this is not to minimize how much hard work actually does go into consumer protection law, but it was sort of a, how do I say this? It was appealing to hear about somebody who could control his own schedule. Because when you're doing, you know, criminal law, like there are times, most criminal defense lawyers have the phone ringer on in the middle of the night, you know, so if one of their friends calls, you know, from the back of a cop car, (laughs) you were available to take that call. And, you know, I didn't want that life. I didn't really want true emergencies or have to look at gory pictures. I met this fellow who's today one of my best friends still. And that's how I got into consumer law. So it kind of was a bit of serendipity. But then once I got into it, I realized that the universe put it in my path. It was meant to be because it actually checked all of the boxes of my values that I knew had to had to be somewhere in the law. Doing stuff that helps people sort out problems and restores fairness and isn't like fighting over the toaster in a divorce. And it, and it isn't like sitting in the jail with, you know, there's this thing called jail breath. I don't know if you've ever heard that term. But, you know, if going to the jail is not something that you really have the intestinal fortitude to do long term, you know, maybe that area of law is not for you. It found me. My niche found me. And then I got to explore all different niches within the niche. And now I'm I'm so niched down that I'm like, well, I'm taking this kind of Fair Credit Reporting Act case right now, and I'm not taking this other kind because it's not really my cup of tea here I'm going to refer you to someone else. Wow. Okay. So one of the benefits of niching for you has been that you select the kind of work that you take on and you turn away work that you're not interested in or don't care for or doesn't fit. Yes. So your niche found you and it sounds like it was somewhat unexpected, but also makes perfect sense because it checks a bunch of boxes. So what else have you found about being niched? And then you went on to kind of say or suggest that you're sort of hyper-niched, if you will. Um, What else have you found being on the super-niche side of things compared to practicing more generally and door law, as you call it? What, What immediately comes to mind is confidence. Because if I stay in my own lane stay in my own sandbox, don't play in other people's sandboxes, then if someone calls me 
And they have this specific problem I solve, which is somebody else's thing is on my credit report. Like I know exactly what to do. I know within five seconds, my body will tell me yes or no about whether to take the case. If the case is not ripe for a lawsuit, like it's very little of my time to, you know, give them the right amount of sort of like general free advice or direct them to the right place. And so I just have a lot of confidence in what I can do because it's based on evidence that I have that I've already litigated the same thing. I've already taken the same thing before. And, you know, the, the features of how it affects you and how it impacts your life and like your personal story, then I can go deeper in that. I can go, I can go deeper in that. And then I can have like a deeper human connection with the people that I do help end up taking on because I'm not spending a bunch of time having to treat all of their problems as a novel issue for me. I already know the foundation. And so, you know, my time is spent on treating them as an individual. My time is spent on doing a really good job with their case. My time is spent on, you know, staying current on the law because like, this is a very dynamic area of the law, like the Supreme Court has taken up, you know, certain of these cases, you know, in the past year, it's been it's a very recent, it's a very recent thing. It's very, very current, very timely, especially in this age of information and data breaches and everything like, it's sort of a leading edge kind of thing to be into. And so, you know, I, I just create all this efficiency for myself and I create all this time for myself to like actually get good at one thing and to keep getting good at it. And then that builds my confidence and then that helps me serve the client and like enjoy myself. Yeah, I was going to ask you that. How has it impacted the way that you enjoy your work or the extent to which you enjoy your work? Some things have a steep learning curve and not a lot of early validation, like if you learn to surf as an adult or learn a new language as an adult or get braces as an adult, <laughs> all of those yes. are things that I've done. <laughs> there's, there's not a lot of payoff early on, but when you're niched down, it's kind of like being on the other side of the sucky part. But if you don't niche down, then like, you know, you're in the break zone of like the suck. You're just like getting pummeled. You're just blah. You're just getting washed around in the surf. So you've got to do some work to paddle and get out beyond the break. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about niche drama for a few minutes. Because I think there's a lot of hesitation to niche. So what are some of the things that you hear perhaps other lawyers or colleagues saying when they're on the before side <laughs> going into the sucky part about the experience? Well, for lawyers, a lot of niche drama is blaming the current circumstances for how you feel. Maybe you're in a big firm and it sucks. And you just think that if you could just get out of that big firm, you know, that everything is going to be like a spa day on the other side of that. And, and that's not completely false and it's not completely true. 
often a change of circumstances and finding where you really belong and where you really fit in is vital to being happy enough to stay in an intense profession like the law, you know, longer than five, five or 10 years. You have to find something that, that you're willing to keep doing. And there are so many niches in the law because everything has some kind of law, you know, associated with it. Um, there are people who practice animal law because they love horses. Like there's all kinds of things that you can find yourself doing. The drama, I think, comes from thinking that there's only like three or four different buckets that you could put yourself into. Like, well, I'm either going to be in a big firm or I'm either going to be in the government I'm either going to do defense or prosecution or personal injury or family law. And then they're like, that's it. Like the categories of lawyers that you see on TV. And it's just not that way. I mean, anything where you find yourself saying, ah, there ought to be a law. There probably is. And maybe that's an indication of like what your passion is for. Um, when I tried to buy my first car, there there had been an error on my credit report. And I'd never heard of the Fair Credit Reporting Act. It was just something in fine print, you know, that nobody reads, even if you've gone to law school. <laughs> you know, I'm standing there freaking out because there's a collection on my credit report from the New Mexico Teachers Credit Union. And I'm to this day, I haven't even set foot in New Mexico. I would love to go. Um, but, you know, somebody else had transposed two digits in my social security number and it ended up on my credit report because they, you know, they don't match based on the whole social security number. It's might be like seven out of nine or something. It got fixed. I think that what, what ended up happening was a rapid rescore on the spot and I was able to get, you know, the loan and buy this vehicle, but I never forgot it. And then, you know, then when I got into consumer law and I was mostly just defending people who are getting sued for credit card debt. And there are lots of things that you can actually do about that. Credit card debt that I'm assuming is fraudulent. No, it might be yours, but it's been bought and sold by debt buyers so many times that we don't know if the person whose name is on that lawsuit, you know, so-and-so, such-and-such LLC versus Joe Consumer, you know, we don't know if so-and-so really has standing to be in court because they might have just bought a thumb drive, you know, off of somebody in an alley. Okay. I mean, that that happens. That's a little bit of an exaggeration, but these things get, you know, just like bought and bought sold. Bought and sold on the dark web or something. Yeah, well, you know, they're they're bought and sold, you know, without recourse, meaning we don't really know what's in there. There might be a few dead people. There might be, you know, a few identity theft debts. You know, there might be things that are just like legally uncollectible. They were discharged in bankruptcy, whatever. And so I was cutting my teeth on consumer law, defending these debts, and then, you know, started seeing the abuses of the the debt collectors. And I was reminded of my issue with, you know, the error on my credit report when I was trying to buy a car. I then, you know, started going to the consumer law conferences, and that's when I first learned about the Fair Credit Reporting Act and decided that that's what I wanted to get into. And so I had, you know, to to 
I didn't immediately just start taking these plum cases, right? I had to work my way up to it. But within two years of me going solo, I had my first Fair Credit Reporting Act case. So it was a little bit of like something lit a fire in me, a bit of a passion like, hey, this is the most righteous law. I totally need to do this. This is something I could get behind. It. I have enough of a desire for this that I can overcome the hard days that we all have in the law. They're like, my God, why am I, why am I putting up with these people? Why do I do this for a living? I think I should like quit and like make jewelry and sell it on the beach in Costa Rica. Maybe that would be better for me. You know, like (laughs) there has to be something that you like enough to overcome those thoughts. Because if you're in any profession, you're going to have those thoughts. (laughs) That's part of it. So you mentioned the timeline in there. I think that it would be useful for listeners to have a sense of the, you know, that is, it is not flip a switch overnight. One day you're a generalist and the next day you're niched and full of clients inside that niche. It is, it's very much a process. Can you give listeners a sense of, you know, what you found in the first six months, 12 months, 24 months? How long did things take you? You know, it seems like everything is on two year cycles where, Every couple of years, there's something that I, a piece that I sort of let go of, and then growing and evolving over time as I continue to refine and get better, and then, you know, something that I step into. So there's no like abrupt, like, today I stop taking debt defense cases. You know, I I decided I was going to stop doing debt defense work and I was only going to take the ones that had a plaintiff's claim. And then I got to a point where I was not even really taking many of those with a plaintiff's claim. I was focusing just on the credit reporting claim. And at this point in my practice, I'm like really saying, you know, unless unless you have a written credit denial based on the situation, you may still have a claim, but it's not one that I have the bandwidth to invest in myself because of, you know, how much I've, you know, evolved you know, so it's it's an evolution. It's an evolution. You know, having something, even if you don't love it or love every minute of it, but you know how to do it, that can sustain your income while you're building the other thing, especially if you're not a high volume shop, which I am not. And I never wanted to be my business model. I never wanted to scale. I never wanted to have staff. I occasionally use contract labor. You know, every year I use some form of of contract labor, I frequently co-counsel and team up because I think it's fun. And it's a way to, you know, two people working together can do, you know, the work of three people working individually. And it's just, it's just fun. And, and the defendants in my cases are very well resourced. Teamwork is very important. It's an evolution and it's important to be, to be patient with yourself, but also, not get so used to the comfort of the familiar, even if you don't like it, that you're afraid to like reach out for the next, you know, monkey bar kind of thing. One of the things that happens the more you niche is the more you become one of very few people who have deep knowledge and expertise about the thing. And I'm wondering where you are on that trajectory. Are you starting to get invited? Do you get invited to speak places? You have your own podcast. Talk about being 
an authority in your space? I, I, I frequently speak on two things. And one of them is kind of like practice management for beginners. How to get the courage to go solo. How to select cases so you don't go crazy. Basic, you know, basic marketing ideas. And then I also, you know, have done some speaking on some more skills-based things like taking a good deposition, you know, how to tell your client's story at trial, that, that kind of thing. And I would say, you know, most of the consumer lawyers who are really exclusively dedicated to the consumer's side of things, meaning they're not doing like high volume eviction work on the side, you know, that they're not doing that are members of NACA, which is the national association of consumer advocates. I would say there's maybe, I should have counted this, but I think there's maybe 25 or 30 NACA member attorneys in the state of Washington. And there's 30,000 plus attorneys in the state of Washington. So that gives you an idea of, and there's so many more cases out there than, than those of us who are about the size of a high school drill team or something can reasonably take like so I'm always encouraging people who are you know dissatisfied with whatever they're currently doing to get into consumer law I'm like please get into consumer law because consumer problems are not going away like there's more and more of them all the time like the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau the CFPB they have so many complaints they have this huge database of like Complaints about collection agencies, complaints about data breaches leading to identity theft, you know, with the big three credit reporting agencies. Like, it's a huge area. If you're looking for something to do and you haven't found yourself as a lawyer, you know, get into consumer law. It's a good place to be. And there are there's plenty of business to go around and you get better at what you do and you get more confident, you feel more proficient, you get faster and all the rest. So do you pay for marketing at all? No. And you're not only are you full, you hand select. Yeah. There was a way that you put it earlier, which is something like getting washed around in the surf. And you said you want to be, you know, choose when you worked and not get woken up in the middle of the night by your phone ringing. Talk to us about more or less on a sort of typical week. How many hours a week are you working? I sort of front load my week. So I do a lot of law on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, and then I do kind of less of it on Thursday and Friday because I'm a skier, and I don't like to ski on the weekends when everybody else is skiing, and I'm self-employed, so, you know, <laughs> it's too busy. Now everyone knows where I am on Thursdays and or Fridays. I will put in the hours when it's necessary, but I've built in so many efficiencies that I can do a great deal without support staff. It's just like it's a lower overhead, not just money wise, but mentally. That you don't you leave the office feeling like you've got a handle on everything and whatever isn't done, you know you've got time to get to it. It's not like there's this never ending list of to do's that just gets longer and longer and longer no matter how hard you work. That you know, like litigation is like a hot potato. You're constantly trying to throw that hot potato back to the other side. 
and then they have to hold the thing and then they're trying to throw it back to you. So there's always like balls in the air, right? Not having a bunch of overhead and not having to rely on volume is for me the way to go. Because then I just, I feel like I can do just like a really good job. So for listeners who are numbers folks, let's, would you say that you work what, like 30 hours a week, 25, 35? I would say average week, maybe 35. Yeah. Sometimes it's more, sometimes it's less, you know, and there's a seasonal aspect to my work. Got it. So there's a bit of a cyclical nature to it. You mentioned toward the top that many law students struggle to pay off their law school loans. How has niching in this area been for you financially? Are your law school loans paid off? Oh, yeah. Okay. How? When did they get paid off? 2014. <laughs> oh, they've been paid off for a long time. Yeah. So I have a really good CPA. <laughs> I think that's... No, I, I, I love CPAs. Like I, I tell everybody going to work for themselves first thing you get is a good CPA. Do you think financially you're better off having niched or would you have been better off financially had you stayed something of a generalist? Oh, I'm totally better off financially because I niched down and I'm better off okay. in a holistic sense in my whole lifestyle. Yeah. And I mean, if you look at your life holistically, because I am more efficient and more confident and can pick and choose the cases I take and I have I have agency over my time. I am not feeling the need to like anesthetize myself with spending money, which is, you know, what a lot of unhappy professionals do. I'm proud of, you know, the work that I've done. I'm proud of my clients and their courage. I'm proud of all of my colleagues who are in the same fight you know, with me, it feels, you know, like I'm in integrity with that. Mm, I love that. And so like, if I went and worked on the other side, I would make more money. But I would work a lot more hours. I would ski less. I would probably go to the doctor a lot more. I would have all these problems that at the end of the day, what would be my take home value of my time and my money? It wouldn't be as much. I'm wealthier here and, and I do well and I do well. And so I need a good CPA. <laughs> Sarah Ellen, this has been so great. Thank you so much for coming on the business strategy for CPAs podcast. Thank you for having me. This was fun. I love that Sarah Ellen found a great niche that gives her agency over her time and makes her whole life wealthy. If you want to find Sarah Ellen, she is at LawyerGoddess.com, and that link is in the show notes. The next time you find yourself caught in the break zone, struggling to keep your head above water, stop what you're doing and head over to SheThinksBigCoaching.com to subscribe to my daily drip of business strategy for CPAs. You'll get one easily digestible tip a day on how to position your business, how to price your services, and how to sell outcomes so that you can be more profitable, get your time back, and get off the tax hamster wheel for once and for all. That URL again is shethinksbigcoaching.com. All right, that's it from me. Have a great week. Hi again. Would you rather spend your weekends outside playing or at your desk? 
In Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind, we put an end to overworking while maintaining revenue. Go to GeraldineCarter.com to learn more. Dates, times, pricing, it's all there.